Just curious how many out there are rooting for the Denver Broncos. Okay. Okay, okay. 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 How many out there are rooting for the eventual Super Bowl champion, the Carolina Panthers? Just curious. I'll try not to do that today. <laughs> yeah. And, and by old, you mean a guy that's like eight years younger than me. In the economy of the NFL, there you go. So, okay, big question. How many of you are rooting for the commercials? Yeah, there we go. You put up with the football game to see the commercials, right? To tell you, well, I mean, they're usually pretty expensive, if nothing else. But they, they pull out all the stops around the Super Bowl. They really want to have those those kind of lasting impact and get the notoriety the next day. And, and if you remember, we started a few weeks ago talking about this idea in our culture that we're bombarded by the message that there's something out there that if you had, you would be just a bit happier. You would be just a little more content. Life would be just that much better. And we said the first week when we started talking about that, that happiness is not about a what, but it's most often about a who. The relationships that you have in your life and the quality of them are really the things that ultimately show us that or bring about happiness and contentment in our life. And then last week we looked at what Jesus said, where he kind of defined happiness. We, we used the Beatitudes, and he went through them and talked about blessed or happy or contented, whatever word you want to use to define that word that shows up in the, in the Beatitudes over and over again. And we saw that in each of those cases, what Jesus told us was happiness is a result. It's not something that's immediately accessible. You can't just be unhappy and then find or do or get something and be happy forever. That you will sow, you will practice these behaviors and attitudes, and you will reap happiness. Or by the same token, if you sow toward discontentment and unhappiness, eventually you will reap that. Yes, there might be momentary happy things or moments, but ultimately the quality, the contentment, the joy of your life will go away. And so today I want to talk about what I think and what I mentioned a few weeks ago might be one of the key components of anybody that's truly happy. And that is people that are truly happy, we would say, have peace. There's peace with who they are. They kind of are comfortable in their own skin. They've dealt with all the, the realities of their life, and sometimes those realities aren't good. Sometimes it's the difficult circumstances, the difficult relationships, and it doesn't seem to be something that kind of clings to them. They're, they're at peace with others. They, they're not holding grudges. They're not angry or bitter about things that have happened. And ultimately, the biggest thing, the biggest relationship that they have peace with, is they have peace with God. And so I want to spend our time today talking about what it means and how you can have peace with God. Now, if we're going to talk about peace, the implication is there is a conflict. That's 
in some ways we might think the opposite of peace. If I have peace with somebody and we're getting along, that's one thing. Otherwise, I might be in conflict with someone or more particularly in conflict with God. And I want to talk about two areas that are at issue, that are the the crux of your conflict with God. And the first one is a wonderful three-letter word that we love to talk about in church. Good old fashioned sin. I'm required to say it that way. I have to, you know, sin. Now, by the way, what I'm not talking about is your sin. I'm talking about the concept, the reality of sin. And maybe one way to understand that is to talk about the place you were born. Do we have any United States citizens here born in the USA? Just curious. Yes. Do we have any citizens of maybe Canada? Canada, I'm sorry. How about European residents, natives? Okay, we got interesting. So we have a variety of nationalities, but wherever you find yourself, maybe I should say, do we have any people, realizing we're in South Florida, of Hispanic nationality, like born in Cuba or, or South America or Central America? Okay, so we've got that going on. So we're talking about your nationality, like the place you were born. I was born in good old Leesburg, Florida. My mom was born there. I was born there. Um, probably in the same bed in the hospital for all I know, one of those weird things. But nonetheless, that was the case. Not really. Let's hope they changed the sheets at least, right? I don't know. There we were in Leesburg. I uh, grew up there all my life until I graduated and went off to college. And, and so when I think about being born, I'm a Floridian, and I am a United States citizen. Now, I got the chance uh, during my college career to go over to uh, London, England, and study over there for a semester. Uh, to go over there, I had to have this wonderful thing you may have heard of called a passport. Yes? Passports are important. You need one to travel internationally. Passports identify you with the nation of your, I guess, legal residence, in my case, because I was born here as a United States citizen. Went over there for a few months, and one of the things that happens, if you've ever traveled and stayed in a place for a while, you can pick up some of the mannerisms and some of the vocabulary, and even if you want to try, you could try to pick up that accent, right? Now, I won't try. Promise. (laughs) We have some people here that have a lovely British accent. We'll let them carry that off but we went over there and and i lived in in the area and around these these british folks and you know it was interesting to talk about things to get to know them and and you know we often think that accent just sounds so cultured doesn't it so so sophisticated yes unlike where i grew up kind of in a rural area where you got a little bit of the uh redneck twang that shows up And whenever I go to Leesburg and come home, I'm reminded very quickly, hey, you've been in Leesburg. I can tell by how you're talking. Oh, yes, there you go. So I'm I'm a resident of America. Even when I went to to England, I was still a resident of America, right? Nothing changed because I was in a different place. There was nothing different about my legal status. I was there as a, a student and had to have all the right documentation to get in. And get out, just like if any of you have traveled internationally, you know how that works. So when we talk about the idea of sin, I want you to use that idea and realize that you all are part of the nation of sin. You were born into 
this nation we call sin by birth. Just your nationality. That's your your natural state. In fact, if you don't believe me, turn to the person beside you and say, do you think I'm a sinner? Do you think I was born in sin? And see what they say. I'll give you a minute. They won't even ask to look at your your passport. They'll just say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You are part of the nation. You were born with the nationality of sin. And, and actually, that's what the New Testament teaches us. We are by birth a part of this nation of sin. We are by birth sinners. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 5 says to that end a few things we can look at this morning. Uh, we're having some technical issues so unfortunately the verses aren't going to be up on the screen but if you brought your bible you can follow along or there's some tucked under the seats about every second or third rack there's a, the black books are the bible romans chapter 5 uh, verse 12 is the first place we're going to look uh, romans chapter 5 verse 12 i'll give you a minute to get there what paul is going to do is in this verse and we'll look at a verse above it and some other places today remind us show us that the reality that you know and that I know by my experience is we are by nature sinners. Romans 5, verse 12, Paul writes these words. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. Boy, there is a lot in there. Did you notice first off, there was a time when sin wasn't. Sin entered the world. There was a time in history, in creation, the first part after Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, that they had not sinned. Sin had not entered the world. It was perfect. It was paradise. It was Eden. But into that moment, sin, through that lovely serpent and through that wonderful piece of fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil entered into the world when Eve and Adam partook. And so there was a time when there wasn't sin, but this says, listen, sin entered the world through one man and what follows sin? Death. Sin enters and right on its heels is death. If you eat of the fruit, God said, you will surely die. The serpent said, you will not surely die. And they ate. And you would say, but, you know, it's kind of true, preacher. The story doesn't say they took a bite and they fell over dead. It's not like Snow White and, or whatever the ones are that happens in, in Disney. It doesn't work like that. But we can see that that started the process as they were separated from God, expelled from the garden, and eventually did die. We know in our own experience as well that death follows sin. Not necessarily physical death, though. Sometimes the death that follows sin is a death of a relationship. You sin against somebody, and that relationship dies. It ends because of the actions you took. Death follows sin. Uh, sometimes careers are killed because people act sinfully. And in pursuing that, the sin is found out, and that career is cut off, is dead, no more. Have to leave that job, find another one, or in some cases even go to prison. Um, we know that that's just naturally how it works. We know uh, we could say, you know, sin does kill our bodies. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm sure you're all going to have crudite for snacks, right? A little nice 
raw broccoli and cauliflower and, and uh, some fruits, grapes, melons, yes? No. Chicken wings? Yep. Those are healthy. Not really. You might have uh, one of our favorites, those little sausages wrapped in a crescent roll. Ooh. Yeah, good stuff. You know, we know unhealthy habits, dare I say sinful habits, one of the untalked about sins a lot of time in church is uh, that wonderful word gluttony. We eat too much, looking in the mirror at myself at times. You know, that's a sin that hurts our bodies. And, and you know, sin, just wherever sin happens, death follows. And ultimately, that death is separation from God, is death, a physical death. And so here, what, what Paul says is sin enters the world through one man, death follows sin, and death comes to all men because all sin. So in that act by Adam and Eve in the garden, they made it so that everybody who's ever been born is born in the nation of sin. Now, I brought my, what do you call that, whiteboard today. Oh, good, I brought a pen too. I was going to put a picture in the, in the slideshow and it didn't work. Um, but instead, you get my world-famous drawing. Are you ready? Some of you have seen this. Because this is, when I, when I talk to people about what it means to be a Christian, a lot of times I'll draw a similar drawing. And this is not original with me. You've probably seen it in a lot of places. But one way we characterize this or, or picture this is by putting two cliffs with a huge chasm and abyss in between. And over here, does that look like you? I did my best. And a lot of times when we symbolize God, we kind of put this cloud thing. I don't know why. Because God lives in the sky in our minds. And so we use this picture to demonstrate that humankind has this nationality of sin. We're born into sin. And we are separated from God. God is holy and righteous and just and perfect and all the things that the Bible reveals about him. And we are here and there's this gap between us. We are separated from God in that way. We are born in this nation and there is this thing that the Bible talks about as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's called different things in scripture. And so we're part of this kingdom and he's in his own kingdom. And we have a problem because we can't cross this gap. Now, we try to in some ways. And let's use that kind of nationality thing. We try to think that if we behave like what we think somebody in this nation behaves like, that somehow we're in that nation. Just like when I went to England, I thought it was cool to listen to the different accents and we would practice among us uh, Americans and try to see who had the best British accent and we would even go to restaurants and let's let's try to order with a British accent. You know, they they knew every time. No matter how much we tried. Now, now a lot of people a few years ago when I was a kid, uh, the Australian accent was was big. Uh, maybe it was crocodile Dundee. Good day, mate, and all that sort of thing. I can say that all day long. Does that make me Australian? Nope. I'm still an American. I could act like it. I could wear the hat and have the, this is a knife, and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't change my nationality. 
Same thing here. We are born into the nation of sin, and we can't behave our way over here. No matter how good we behave, we can't go over here by our behavior. We can't act our way in. There are a lot of people in church today, here and elsewhere. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. But some people come to church because it's a behavior that they think God looks down and goes, oh, I like you better because you went to church today. But we don't get credit for attendance. God doesn't look down and say, oh, you're in church. That's better than the person that's not. Oh, you're in church. You must be a Christian, right? When I go to McDonald's, does that make me a Big Mac? course not just because you're in the building we have a problem we are separated from god and we're born into this nation of sin and no matter how hard we try there's no way we can get over here so how then do we overcome this problem well paul says in, in, a, in a, another book that he wrote the the book of colossians Chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to this verse. Listen to what Paul says. He says this. For he, meaning God, meaning Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness or from the nation of sin. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This kingdom of sin, this this nationality we were born into and that we know by our experience marks who we are. He has delivered us from that and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God. Jesus had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He came at night and began to ask Jesus questions. And Jesus said, What you may have heard before, it's a phrase that a lot of people use to describe what it means to be a Christian. He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Confuses Nicodemus. In fact, ask a really, what's the right word? Odd question, a little bit uncomfortable. How can I climb into my mother's womb and be born again? I'm a grown person. That can't happen, right? I want you to see that maybe putting these two together, this is what's at issue here. We're born into this kingdom of sin, and the Bible teaches that we can be born again anew into the kingdom of God. Not because we behave or do enough things or go to the right places. None of that gets us here. The only way to get to the kingdom of God is when God rebirths us the the bible says it different ways it says uh, in christ we're all new creatures the old has passed away and the new has come the idea is we're a brand new creation we've been given a new heart all of these things are different ways of saying what we're talking about that this problem we have this conflict with god that we have is a problem of sin and we can't get out of it god has to rescue us from it Back to Romans 5, uh, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified, the idea when declared just or declared righteous, even though we're 
by nature sinners. We have peace with God. And then here's the phrase. That's a good phrase. Peace with God. That's what we said we're going to talk. You want peace with God? You need to be justified through faith, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So a lot of times when we draw this, one of the things we do is to say, how do you bridge this gap? I think the original track or illustration was called The Bridge. And I'm not a very good artist. I always get it proportionally wrong. But a lot of times we do that, right? It's cross. The only way to move from this kingdom or dominion of darkness and sin into the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ, who rescues us from our own self And we're born again. We're a new creation in the kingdom of God. That's the only way it works. There is nothing you can do. There's no behavior you have to go through. It is a rebirth. God does it for us. We leave one kingdom. We go to the other. We're born again. We're given a new passport, a new, we're, we're adopted as children of God. All of these things are said. And so we find that the way to deal with that sin problem, our nationality, as we've been talking about it, the way to to get peace with God over that conflict comes through faith in Christ. That is the only way. No other way, no other option exists to deal with this conflict between you and God. The fact that you were born into the nation of sin and God is holy and just and his kingdom is so other. Does that make sense? You like my drawing? Aren't you glad I got to bring my whiteboard? No, I'm just kidding. Usually when I do this, I'll I'll talk to people about what it means, and I'll autograph it and say, here, you can keep this. It'll be worth like 10 cents one day, maybe 20, depending on how it goes. And so, so that is, at heart, what's the issue? Now, you came in this morning. You may have seen the the table set up front, and if, if you're familiar with church world and how things work, you know this is what we call the Lord's Supper. If you're not, you might have wondered what are those dishes up there on the front. And inside these, these dishes are elements that symbolize the death of Christ. And, and the smaller uh, plate is the, the matzah, the unleavened bread, symbolizing the sinless life and the broken body of Jesus Christ. And in the, the larger plates are cups of juice, symbolizing the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, we take this, the Bible says, and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Why do we do that? Because in doing this, we're reminding ourselves, I had a problem. I was born into the nation of sin. But through Jesus Christ, I have been reborn into the kingdom of God. And so we take these regularly. Different churches do it different frequencies. We do it usually once a month as a reminder of that. And so we're going to do it out of order today. There's more to the sermon. I knew you'd be excited. Um, But we're going to stop here and we're going to take the supper together. Before we get to the second part of the conflict that we have that robs us of peace with God. So I'm going to invite our deacons, if you would come forward, and we'll, we'll take the supper together. Because this is... The reminder today. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, this is the proclamation. This is the symbolic message that if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you can't behave your way into it. You have to trust what God has done for you through Jesus Christ.
And so Scripture records various places about this, but Paul actually in Corinthians tells us that it was on the night he was betrayed that Jesus took bread and broke it and blessed it. And so the first conflict we have that robs us of peace with God is the nationality, the the fact that we're born into sin. Um, Even as we just heard sung, it is well, that taking off that hymn and and a new, uh, adding some things to it. That's what we can say when we place our faith and through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God because he rescues us from the dominion of darkness and we're born again into the kingdom of God. So that's got to happen. If that hasn't happened for you, the rest of what I'm going to say, don't pay attention because it doesn't apply. This is the primary issue. You've got to get this one first before we deal with the second one. Now, why would peace with God be something we talk about? Well, if those who have happiness are at peace, first with God, what does that do? It prepares us to have peace, in a sense, with who we are. Because in this adoption or this rebirth, we have been forgiven of all the stuff we've ever done wrong. All the sin that's in our life. And I don't know about you, but there are some things in my life as I look back that I have a tendency to want to carry around with me. Those moments, those decisions that I regret and I I sort of carry them around. People put it this way. I have a hard time forgiving myself. You may have heard that phrase. But once we understand what happens through the cross, through the, the, the resurrection, through the salvation that God offers, we, we can come to terms with that. Because if the eternal and infinite God of the universe has forgiven us, who are we to carry around that sense of, I can't forgive myself? And then the second thing it does is it allows us to make peace with others. Because one of the ethics of the kingdom of God is do to other people as your heavenly father has done to you. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, you know, we say, forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts, different words, different translations, as we forgive those who sin against us. For in the same way you forgive others, so your father in heaven forgives you. So this this idea that We can forgive because God has treated us the way he has. And so this is primary. This is our first conflict. When we deal with this, we have peace with God. But after we deal with this, something else comes up. And it's not sin as a concept. It's your sin. And let's look at it this way. How many of you were teenagers? Was anybody here ever a teenager? Maybe we should get some teenagers to to testify. How many of you have had teenagers and survived? Amen. Beautiful thing, right? Now, I guess I want you to remember those days when you were a teenager. I love the sign that says, teenagers, leave home now while you still know everything, right? And there is that sense when we're kind of in that rebellious stage. We think, you know, we know what's best. And then there's those doggone parents that sometimes get in the way of our happiness. And we say, Mom, Dad, I want to do this. And they have the nerve to say, no. Does that affect the peace in your relationship? Have any of you ever had teenagers get 
huffy with you? Come on. Jeez. Or everybody's favorite. Whatever. And it affects the peace in your home. But as a good parent, in that moment, you face a choice. You have a child asking you to do something. And you know if you say yes, in that moment, things will be happy in the home. There will be peace. They will be happy with you. They'll say, man, you're the greatest mom ever. Thanks, Dad. But you also know that those choices that you just agreed to are going to come back to haunt them. And as a parent who sees the bigger picture, you say to your child in so many words, I love you too much to say yes to what you're asking me to do. Because I see where that road leads. Maybe because you went down that road. Or maybe just because you've seen those effects. So yeah, if the child comes in and says, you know, I know my curfew is 11, but I'd really like to stay out till 3 a.m. Sure, come home whenever you want. Oh, there's happiness and peace. And maybe a baby nine months later. Or whatever else might happen, right? So we, we make those choices. And, and Jesus tells us one of the ways that he asks us to relate to God, even in the end in that Lord's Prayer, is how does it begin? Our Father. That God is for us a good and perfect heavenly father. And as I get older, my parents get smarter. Have you noticed that? The older I get, the more I respect the things that they did, the more I respect the things that they taught me, the more I respect the decisions that in the moment I didn't really like. They get smarter and smarter and smarter. And God is a good heavenly father. Sometimes says no. But we decide we're going to do it anyway. I don't care, God, that you said no. I'm going to do it anyway. And off I go. Been there? Done that. There's actually a a parable to some degree about that. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. And one of this man's sons basically says to his dad, I want my inheritance. In other words, I wish you were dead so I can have the money that's rightfully mine. Lovely thing to say to a parent. And he gets it. His dad gives it to him, and he goes off. Leaves home and and just goes and has all the fun he can possibly afford. Right? That affects the peace in that home, right? That affects the relationship between father and son. Just like when we say that to God, God says no, and we do it anyway. We say, give me my stuff, I'm out. It affects our relationship. There is no peace between us and God. But here's the beautiful part about, well, there's a lot of beautiful parts about that parable of the prodigal son. One of the things that that we need to remember, because all of us, even after we've been reborn into the kingdom of God and forgiven of our sin, will still at some point, at several some points, sin and my sin becomes an issue my action in this moment becomes an issue of my peace with god in the parable of the prodigal son finally the son decides to return home and he rehearses his speech and he's going to go back and one of the things in that parable the scripture says is while he was still a ways off 
the father sees him and goes to the son. And before the son can even get out his spiel, the father says, bring the shoes, I believe. Bring the ring. Let's kill the fattened calf because my son who was lost, who was dead, is now home and we need to celebrate. That's the posture of a good heavenly father toward me and you, even when we say, I'm doing it my way. That doesn't mean God treats us the same way. It doesn't mean God turns his back on us and says, fine, go that way. See if I care. No, he cares desperately. And he is waiting, eagerly waiting, just like that father in the parable was looking. And before his son knew he was close enough to see, the father ran to him. See, the problem with peace, after we've entered into the kingdom of God, our peace with God is affected by our choices. Not by an angry God who's just trying to punish us, but by the fact that we sometimes decide in this moment, for this period of time, we're going to do what we want to do. That affects the relationship. So 1 John 1, 9, a verse I memorized a long time ago, says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, just, just a few verses before that, in uh, 1 John 1, 6, it tells us a little bit about ourselves. Sometimes the Bible has to get up in our business. And it says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. What does that mean? It means if we say, okay, I'm part of the kingdom of God. I've been reborn. I'm on this side because of what Jesus did but we choose to go our own way and think that's okay. You know, I'm in the kingdom. It doesn't matter what I do now. I can do whatever because God forgave me. John says, you're lying to yourself. If you say that, it is a lie. Truth's not in you. That's pretty harsh language, isn't it? Pretty strong way to put it. But you and I know that's the case. It affects, just like, not listening to parents affects our relationship with them. And so when we get to this point, in that moment, God waits for us to turn back to him. And he is eager and ready to forgive and to welcome us home. We're still sons. We're still in the family. But we've chosen to walk away from that fellowship, that closeness, that peace with him. And God is ready to receive us back. So let's sum it up for a few minutes. And then we'll close out. Question one, because it's either one or the other for everybody in this room. One of these two realities is causing conflict between you and God. It's either reality one, you do not have peace with God because you are part of the nation of sin even though you've tried to behave your way and somehow prove you can do enough good to make god happy you're still over here because that's where you were born that's what your passport says and until you're reborn until you place your faith in jesus christ and are rescued from the nation of sin and planted in the kingdom of god because of faith in christ nothing you do will change it and so if you're here today, and this is that's you, you've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, recognize what he did for you when Jesus came by dying on the cross. 
then today you need to do that to have peace with God. If you don't do that, you cannot have peace with God. But I know there's some people here that have already made that choice, have already made that decision, have already placed their faith in Christ Jesus, have already been born again or saved or whatever word you want to use. The question you have to ask is the second question. Am I at peace with God? Is my, are my choices lining up with what my Father, my good and gracious and kind and loving Heavenly Father, lays out for me? And if so, you know there's that peace. But like most of us, there are times when that's not the case. And so the challenge for you is, will you, like the prodigal son, recognize the space you're in and return to your father? And Scripture says you will find a God ready to forgive, ready to receive you back, ready to restore that relationship that you can have. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for what you have done for us. That by the cross, you have rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin. And it is possible that through faith in you, to be redeemed, to be reborn into the kingdom of God, and the peace with God that that offers. Lord, today if there's someone here who has never turned in faith to you to be reborn into your kingdom. I pray even now, even in this moment, they'll call out to you. They'll pray and ask for your forgiveness and admit their sin. Admit that they are part of the kingdom of sin, the dominion of sin, and invite you to rescue them that they might be reborn. Lord, I pray you would bring about your saving work in lives today. Lord, for those of us who've already made that decision, who are already part of your kingdom, but have strayed from you, have tried to convince ourselves that we can do whatever we want now that we're in, and we realize we've sacrificed peace with you. May today we turn and confess that sin and find a God willing and eager to forgive and restore. Lord, as we come to these moments today, this time of response, we would ask that you might have your way. Convict us of that place that we have allowed our peace with you to be robbed. And give us the courage to act, to be restored. I pray these things in Jesus' name.